church. Uh, such a joy to, to worship our one true God uh, by faith in the name of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and we know about Him through the ancient words uh, that we just, just sang about through the scriptures, God's uh, perfect record uh, to us. Uh, so it's, again, just a joy to be here and, and worship uh, His name in, in this manner with each one of you. What a privilege and joy it is. Uh, so by way of announcements, uh, next week, next Sunday, is a very big Sunday for us, right? August 2nd, uh, we have scheduled the Loving Our Community uh, brainstorming session. Uh, remember, we've been, as, as a church, especially in our growth groups, I hope you're all a part of a growth group. If you're not, now's a, an especially great time to be part of one. Uh, and if you're curious when they meet... Uh, just check out our website. There's lots of information on there about our growth groups. And that's our word for small groups. But they're just a small community of believers getting together to study God's word, um, challenge each other, and encourage one another, practice the one another's. But these groups have been going through this book called Loving Your Community. Uh, and I hope that all of you have a copy of this. If not, I might have one or two left if, if, if you want to get reading through it. Uh, but early on in this book, he has this challenge. And the challenge is to say yes, unless you have to say no. Uh, and I think that's a great way to be thinking about ministry. In fact, what he says is, just kind of elaborate on a little bit more, he says, he quotes Galatians 6 verses 9 and 10, where it says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are the household of faith. So then he says, wise churches look for every opportunity to share love and resources with those around them. And that's what we want to do. We're trying to, to look for every opportunity that we can to, to love our community with the resources that God has given us. Uh, and so next Sunday, immediately following the service, is that loving our community brainstorming session. And for that session, we have at this point, and I think we're, we're where we want to be with it, we have eight community leaders coming next Sunday. Uh, we have a, I'm just going to read them here so I make sure I get them. We have a rep from the fire department, a rep from the sheriff department, uh, we have a representative from the Orangeville Community Outreach, uh, Mel Reisner, our county clerk, will be here, Amanda Moore, also known as Amanda Torres, uh, but Amanda Moore, she'll be here, Lonnie Forrest from United Way, uh, Jim Hogaboom from Delton High School, he's a school counselor, and then Bonnie Hogaboom, resource coordinator for senior citizens. Uh, they're going to be here next Sunday after the service. We're going to give them each like 10 minutes or so to kind of share what they think the hurts and the needs and the struggles are around us and how we can best uh, serve and help and love with the love of Christ. We'll have a few minutes to, to ask questions, uh, but that's, that's next Sunday. So to help encourage you to come to that and stay, we're even providing a sack lunch. Isn't that just so nice of us? <laughs> uh, so next Sunday, uh, sack lunch, and we'll, we'll sit and we'll listen and be praying uh, and just excited for what the Lord will do uh, through, through next Sunday. The other announcement that I want to bring before you is the following Sunday after that. So August 9th, we have scheduled our Membership Matters class. And what that is, is that's for anyone and everyone who is interested in what it means to be a member of Orangeville Baptist Church. Uh, we actually have eight people coming to that class at the moment. Uh, so it's just a great time to take advantage of that. that that's August 9th. They'll be immediately following the service. 
a lunch will be provided, and just so you know, it will be a little bit long, it'll be two to three hours, but it's a one-shot <coughs> one class. So instead of coming back like multiple weeks for, for an hour or two, we're just gonna do it all one, one big long shot, uh, and hopefully go over what it means to be a member. And by the way, just because you come to that class, doesn't mean you have to join the church. It just means you're interested, you have questions, you want to know what that's more about. Uh, so that's, that's August 9th, uh, immediately following the service. The other announcement comes from Pastor Josiah. Myself clipped in here. Is this working? Can you guys hear me? Okay, awesome. So there's two things I need to announce. The first one is what you see scrolling up here on the slides. Not COVID. One sec. Go, can you go back to the sing slides real quick? And we'll just walk through them one at a time. So coming to Orangeville in the end of August, we are doing a worship conference. And it's, it's one of the coolest things that I've ever been involved in of all of the different... That's real. Can you read that? <laughs> I really don't know what's happening. Um... Yeah, so just try not to look at the screen, I guess. Um, I'll just try to explain it. <laughs> Man, see, first, I was up till like 3 o'clock trying to fix our lights. and couldn't get them working. That's why I look like I'm a zombie right now. <laughs> and now, now the projector, dang nabbit. <laughs> um, so, anyway, this is what I was going to say. It's a worship conference. What does that mean? Well, it's not just music. It's not just um, for, like, worship members. Because like, we, we limit the term worship to music, right? It, like which doesn't make any sense because to worship God is to give him of ourself. And we can do that in countless ways. So this conference is going to cover all sorts of things, everything from children's ministry. There's a whole day on children's ministry. Sunday is going to be all about how do you lead kids into the word of God and teach them about God. There's a whole day that's going to be on just the centrality of scripture, um, how we need to hold up the Bible as our main um, centerpiece of everything we do. There's going to be a whole day on kind of singing and what it means to sing. And then there's a whole day on like evangelism and engaging our world with the gospel. And this conference is going to cover everything from gospel sharing to parenting to children's ministry to obviously singing, music, art. Um, so I'm, I stepped out in faith and I bought a bunch of tickets for this um, with the permission of my fellow um, leaders here. Um, the trustees and deacons, and we want to get as many people from our church to this conference as we can, okay? So what that means is we are able to cut the cost down because we got a package to only $40 a person, which is four days, every day you have, you have dinner involved, there's childcare, so that's like, honestly, that's like one night out with a babysitter is 40 bucks, but you're getting four nights out with a babysitter, so just think about that. Um, so... So we've made it as easy as possible, I hope, for everybody to come to that. And it's, again, it's August. Can you go back to the slide so I just make sure I get this right? August 31st to September 3rd, okay? So mark that down on your calendar and try to make it out. The second announcement is really brief. Um, I've uh, been putting in the, the emails and stuff going out to you guys that there's a painting day coming up here. It's actually a whole week. And, and it starts today. We're going to be painting the gym back there. You should have seen that in your, your email. Um, I need help with that. Uh, I cannot do this by myself. So I have a sign-up sheet back there. And after the service, please put your name down. Okay? Because otherwise, I, I'm, I'm definitely not going to get through it. So 
think that's everything. I'm going to go sleep. <laughs> Just uh, if you fall asleep while I'm preaching, we're docking your pay. <laughs> in in regards to saying, the only only other thing I can think to mention with that is maybe you can only make it one of those nights. Uh, it's still available. Yeah, it's and you can still watch it because because you, you're given an opportunity. You're kind of into the live stream with it, so it's available for quite a while actually, right? Yes, that's great. Uh, so we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, again, we just praise you for the word of God, those ancient words that are true. Uh, they are faithful to, to who you are, that you by your spirit, we know, uh, guided and directed these men of old uh, to write down your word in a way that is faithful and true, in a way that is uh, without error, in a way that is also sufficient for all that we need for life and godliness. Uh, we just we we thank you for that truth with your word that it is that that foundation upon which we can stand. And Lord, I just pray for myself and for each each person here uh, as I think about what Jesus taught uh, about the wise man and the foolish man and how the the foolish man hears the word of God and didn't do anything with it. And when the storms came, uh, his house crashed. But the wise man heard the word of God, put it into practice. He was dug down deep. Um, because of that, when the storms came, the foundation, the house, it stood. And Lord, uh, that's, that's my great desire for myself and for each one of us here, that we would be dug down deep into your word. Uh, and correspondingly, that we would be acting out in obedience to that knowledge of your word, that we might have that strong foundation. Help us not, any, any of us here, Lord, help us not to be uh, like that foolish person. Help us to be wise. Help us to humble ourselves, uh, to come before the word of God and be under it. Not to sit in judgment upon it, uh, but to put ourselves submissively, humbly under it uh, and to let it search us, to challenge us, and to change us. And Lord, we thank you that the Word of God does that, that the Word of God is a means of grace that you have given, and the Word of God is powerful, it's transformational, and it changes us from the inside out. It changes our minds, it changes our hearts, it changes our attitudes, it changes our actions. And Lord, we, we want much of that change. We, we know uh, that we, we all have much growth to do. But Lord, we know that you also have saved us, that we might be conformed into the knowledge of your Son. Uh, you have saved us that we might be like Christ. Uh, Lord, we know that sin ruined, ruined us. Sin marred the image of God. But the second Adam, Christ, who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead, that by faith we are in Christ and you are recreating us. And we thank you for that amazing truth. And we just pray that your word, day by day, as we, as we read it, as we think on it, as we meditate upon it, uh, that it would change us from the inside out, that each one of us, every day, step by step, little by little, would be more and more like you. And as that happens, Lord, I pray that our, our impact for your glory would, would uh, be more and more in our community. Lord, that as your word changes us, it would overflow from us into this church and into this community. Lord, you know our heartbeat is to saturate all of Allegan and Barry County with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, for that to happen, each one of us needs to know the gospel and, and delight in the gospel and, and walk and live in the gospel. 
So Lord, we pray you do that great work here and that it would overflow into our community. And as we have this, uh, this big meeting next Sunday, I thank you for all these individuals, these uh, community leaders who are willing to come out to take the time to, to share some of their thoughts with us, Lord. Just give us a church, as, as a church, wisdom and discernment as we listen. Lord, we want to do what you want us to do. We, we, don't, we don't have our plans that we're trying to direct you towards, Lord, but, but Lord, we're looking to you uh, and, and the needs of this community. We, we know we're not here by accident. We know that, that this isn't an oops, but Lord, you've equipped us uh, with, every, with every spiritual blessing. You've given us spiritual gifts uh, to serve one another and to reach this community with the gospel of Christ. And so we pray that next Sunday uh, would be a, a, great, a great time for that, a great challenge, a great step in that direction. And Lord, we know that there are many in our church who are, who are struggling spiritually. Uh, they're, they're just going through that, that valley. And Lord, we are mindful of each one of them. We thank you for them. We pray that right now that you, the shepherd, would just continue to shepherd them, uh, that you would lead them, uh, that they would know your presence, that they would know your power, that they would know your comfort and your love. Some of us, Lord, are perhaps going through such a dark spot, Lord, that we doubt those things, we wonder about those things, we wonder if you're for us, uh, we wonder why you do this, why you do that, why don't you do this. Lord, I just pray for each person in that situation that they would just look to you with eyes full of faith and that, that they would be comforted by you, the great shepherd, who knows their hearts, you know their lives, you know their struggles better than they know them themselves. And Lord, we pray and ask that you would do that in just a special way. Lord, in particular this morning, we lift up to you Cody. Uh, we know that he continues to, to go to the, the doctors and trying to figure out all that's going on there. Uh, we pray that you'd give wisdom and discernment there, strengthen his body, <clears throat> help the doctors and narrow down what's, what's going on. And through it all, I'll just help him to be, I, I ask, Lord, that you would strengthen him with all strength, that he might endure with patience, and that he might grow much in you through this. And Lord, we are mindful of the times in which we live, uncertain times for sure, but Lord, we also know every, every day is uncertain uh, only thing that's certain is you and your word, and we thank you for that anchor, that rock that we can stand upon. But Lord, we pray for those whom you have placed in authority, uh, that they would do what is good and right and just and holy in your sight. Uh, Lord, your, your word calls upon us, if any of you is lacking wisdom, to go to you, the source of all wisdom. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. And so Lord, we pray that uh, all of our community leaders and for our country, for our world, uh, that they would look to Christ for wisdom, uh, that they would learn to boast in the cross, that they would learn to boast in knowing you, and that our leaders in our country would delight in the things that you delight in, that there would just be a great repentance in that way, a great change of hearts in that way. And Lord, we thank you for the gospel once again, and the truth of who Jesus Christ is. As we look to your word now, I uh, just pray that your word would do its great work in our hearts, assure us and comfort us and strengthen us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. <clears throat> so this morning, if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 1. If you remember last week, we introduced that book. Uh, and this morning, we are jumping into the first four verses of Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Luke, chapter 1, 
verses 1 through 4. And God's word says this to us. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And here's the reason why, verse 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So this morning, I want to talk with you about uh, an, an issue, a word that is very uncomfortable uh, in many Christian circles. I want to talk to you about a word that is, quite frankly, often frowned upon, if not sometimes even condemned uh, within Christian circles. A word that, nonetheless, honestly, many Christians struggle with immensely. And the word is doubt. I want to talk to you about doubt this morning. And what God's word has to say about doubt. Doubt just essentially means, that's a way of saying, I don't know. In fact, even as I was thinking about this, I was reminded uh, when I was in seminary back in, back in Pennsylvania, me and a few other seminary seminarians, uh, we were uh, talking talk about, I can't remember the subject, but it was after a class, and we were gathered out in the foyer waiting for chapel to start, and three or four of us just stood around there, and we all kept saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Like, we couldn't figure out, like, uh, exactly where we were landing on a few things, and I remember the, the president coming by at that time, Milo Thompson, he's saying, look, we're in a seminary, you guys are training to be pastors, you better figure that out. <laughs> uh, but just doubt uh, doubt is saying, I don't know. Doubt is being unsure. It's being perplexed, confused. It's, it's, it's wavering. You perhaps know someone who struggles with assurance of salvation or who struggles with, can we trust God's word? Is it really reliable? Or is, is God always really good? Is it good what he's doing right now? Uh, with, with COVID, uh, maybe you know someone who's, who struggles with, with a few of those things. That, that struggle is very real for many Christians. Non-Christians too, but also for many Christians. In fact, maybe that person who's struggling is you. Maybe that's you. What began perhaps as a, a seed, a, a small question, has grown. Uh, and it grows and grows, and it's getting bigger and darker. Perhaps plagues you, or, or even feels like it's strangling you. And perhaps things you wrestle with are things like, why, why didn't God give me a more sensitive spouse? Or, couldn't God have stopped this from happening? Or things like, why isn't God helping me? Doesn't he love me? Does, doesn't he care about me? Why isn't my life turned out for the better? Th things like that that we wrestle with, that we question. We have doubts. And possibly, in, in light of these doubts, you feel lonely. You feel overwhelmed. You feel discouraged. You, you wonder, what's wrong with me? Am I a hypocrite? Do I really belong here? Perhaps you're tempted to give up. And I want you to know... I'm so glad you're here this morning, if that's you. And don't give up. Please listen carefully to this message, the message of God's Word. Honestly, 
I think doubt is common to all Christians. It's very common. For some, that doubt is deep, it's dark, it's oppressive, it's very, it strangles, like I said, but others, it's, it's just a, a bit of confusion and wavering. But I think in, we all struggle with it in one way, form, or fashion in life. Let me come at it this way. What Christian can honestly say that you've never doubted a promise of God? And I can illustrate that very simply. Because in Matthew chapter 6, uh, the Lord Jesus commands us, do not be anxious or do not worry about what? Anything. And we shouldn't worry or be anxious about anything because God is good. And he cares for us. Right? Remember that in Matthew chapter 6? And yet how many of us have ever been anxious or worried? Is that not doubting his promise? Is that not doubting his character? Is that not doubting his word? If you've ever been anxious, ever wondered, well, where's that money going to come from? Where's that check going to come from? How am I going to get this job? Or, or whatever it might be. If you ever doubt and have, have anxiety in that way, that's doubting God's love, His care, His goodness, His plan, and His ways. And just think about the many, many uh, characters within the Bible itself. Adam and Eve. They doubted the goodness of God, yes? They doubted the goodness of God. Think about Abraham and Sarah. They doubted God's promise that He would give them a son in their old age. And Moses... Who, who led Israel out of the wilderness, or out of the wilderness and out of Egypt, right? Moses, and who performed those many miracles, he struggled with doubt. In fact, even at, at the end of his life, he's not allowed into the promised land, because uh, in Numbers chapter 20, verse 12, God says to the Lord, Because you did not believe me. What's that? That's doubt. Because you did not believe me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Remember Gideon? Gideon so full of doubt and afraid that he asked for a sign in Judges chapter 6. Or think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is referred to by Jesus as, the, um, he's, Jesus says, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. No one greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And John the Baptist pointed at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And yet when John the Baptist is in prison and Christ begins his Galilean ministry, uh, he sends a, a couple of his disciples uh, to Jesus asking in Matthew 11, Are you the one? Are you the one? Or shall we look for another? What is that? That's second guessing. That's doubt. Peter doubts the Lord's ability to stop him from drowning. Zechariah, just, just a little bit later in, in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 18 and following, Zechariah loses his voice for a little while. Why? Because he doubts the promise of God that they should give birth to John. The desperate father of the boy with an unclean spirit cries out, I believe! Then what's he say? Help my unbelief! So that's believing mixed with doubt. 
And, and real quick, just turn to the end of Luke, in Luke 24, if you can turn there really quick, starting in verse 36, Jesus has been resurrected, he's spoken to the disciples at Emmaus, they've gone and they've told uh, the rest of the disciples what they saw and heard, that, that Christ is risen, and as they're doing that, in Luke chapter 24, verse 36, we come across this, 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 this section, it says, as they, again, that's, that's the disciples on Emmaus Road, as they were talking about these things, it says, verse 36, Luke 24, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And watch what he says. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Then verse 41, while they still disbelieved, they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? And then he eats before them. That's something else, isn't it? They're still doubting. And you find the same phrase in Matthew 28, verse 16 and 17, where just before Christ gives that great commission, it says, some of them were still doubting. So if the disciples who lived and walked and talked with the Lord Jesus Christ saw him perform the many wonders that he performed, saw the resurrected Christ, if they still doubted, should it be anything surprising to you if you are struggling with doubt? William Cooper, perhaps you've heard of him, he's, he's one of the hymnal, uh, wrote a, a vast number of hymns, over 60 hymns. He wrote this, the hymn, Oh, for a Closer Walk with Thee. We've sung that one before, right? He also wrote, God Moves in a Mysterious Way and There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. Those are two of my favorite songs to, to, to sing and think about, especially God Moves in a Mysterious Way, uh, His Wonders to Perform. I, I, I love, love that hymn. But did you know he struggled immensely with doubt? So much so uh, that he uh, nearly committed suicide and was even committed to an insane asylum. Or Martin Luther. Man, when we think Martin Luther, you know, part of the Reformation, we think bold as a lion, courage, loud, defiant, right? This rebel. That guy doesn't have any doubt, right? Well, he wrestled with doubt tremendously. Um, listen to some of, these, some of these things. He says, quote, he, it, he was experiencing times of fear that, quote, he said, God has turned his back on me once and for all. He said, one time he thought God had abandoned him to suffer the pains of hell. Feeling alone in the universe, Luther, quote, he doubted his own faith, his own mission. He doubted the goodness of God. Doubts which, because they verged on blasphemy, drove him deeper and deeper in despair. He would often speak of how he felt his, when he prayed that it met a wall of indifferent silence. You ever feel that way when you pray? that it just kind of hits this wall. Doubt is not a stranger to believers. Now, I'm not saying this is good. I, I'm, I'm not saying that, uh, that it's good to doubt. I'm not trying to make you comfortable in your doubt. The world we live in does that, right? The world we live in celebrates doubt. that makes doubt a virtue. It's, it's fashionable. It's trendy to doubt. Uh, our society celebrates being uncertain. Relativism, subjectivism, that kind of reigns supreme. There is no truth, only your truth and my truth, right? In fact, did you, did you hear about the math teacher a few days ago and the statement she made? 
Uh, it was all over, all over the news, all over Twitter, because she init initially tweeted it on Twitter. But she basically said, she didn't basically say, she said that if you believe that 2 plus 2 equals 4, then you are guilty of Western imperialism. That basically, you're a racist. If you believe 2 plus 2 equals 4, you are guilty of Western imperialism because we are wrong to think that that is the only way of knowing, end quote. We are wrong to think that 2 plus 2 equals 4 is the only way to know. That's her truth, she would say. My truth, your truth. Who are you to say I'm wrong? One of the greatest crimes or sins that you can commit today is that of being certain. Sure and settled convictions is dismissed and thought to be impossible. The only thing we can be certain about, we are told in the world, is being uncertain. Uncertainty. Strong convictions, having assurance, certainty. That's, you're arrogant if you think you have strong convictions. Who do you think you are? You can't possibly know everything. That's what we hear. We're told it's far more authentic, it's far more truly human to live in the gray areas than to live and stand on certitude. As I once heard someone say, our world puts their faith in doubt. We put our faith in doubt. And I see some of that creeping into the church, which obviously is not good. We must not put our faith in doubt. We must put our faith in God. God is not honored by doubt. Doubting is disobedience to God. We must put our faith in God. But yet, sadly, again, to circle back around, we're human and we all struggle with doubt. We all falter. Not one of us has perfect faith. What must we do with our doubts? We must bring them to God. We must cry out with that desperate Father, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when we pray that, we're not praying, Lord, uh, I, I don't believe, and you'll just have to be okay with that. What we're praying is, no, it's a faith-driven cry for more faith, for doubt to die. And if you're wondering, why am I saying all this? Why am I talking about doubt so much this morning? It's because our text is all about doubt. In fact, the, the whole Gospel of Luke is all about doubt. Look at verse 4. He's writing to most excellent Theophilus, who is probably a wealthy patron who backed the writing of Luke. Uh, but this, this guy also has questions. He has doubts about uh, some of the things he's heard, because it says in verse 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. I don't know if Theophilus was a believer or not, but he had doubts, he had questions, believer or not. And so Luke writes to address those doubts. Because that word certainty means without a doubt. It means not to totter or fall. It means to stand confidently, to stand on solid ground. All kinds of doubts were stirring in Theophilus' heart and mind, and Luke writes to dispel those doubts. Luke writes to provide a firm foundation for faith, to dispel our doubts. So in the spirit of Jude 22, I was thinking a lot about that this week, Jude 22, when's the last time you read of the epistle of Jude? Uh, but in Jude 22, it ends with this phrase in verse 22, Have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. So I want you to know this morning that if, if, if you are doubting, if you don't have certainty, if you can't see the, the light at the end of the tunnel, 
If you feel alone, if you're scared, you're, you're trying to keep your doubt secret and buried, lest, lest, lest someone knows. If, if you feel like doubt is devouring all of your hope and joy, if that's you this morning, I, I want to say again, with all the, the shepherding love that I can, that you are not alone. You are not alone. Orangeville Baptist Church is a safe place where you can be, begin to open up and talk about some of these doubts and hopefully find healings to, and a place to ask questions. And we, we at Orangeville, we expect and love questions about God and faith and the Bible. But I also want you to know if that's you, if you have doubt, if you're struggling, that you can stand on a firm foundation. That you can grow out of that doubt. That you can grow in your faith. That there is hope. There's a way out. And you can take your doubts to God. You can trust God with your doubts. He's big enough to handle them. And, and you can throw them on Him. So you can have this firm foundation from which to work through your doubts. The Gospel of Luke is exciting. The Gospel of Luke is for anyone who needs to know Jesus. It's for people who've never met Him before. It's for people who need to meet him again. Maybe you've been wandering and you need to come back and meet him again. It's for people who aren't quite sure about Jesus. It's for people who are just starting to trust in Jesus. It's for people who've known him for a long time but still need to become more secure uh, in our faith. The Gospel of Luke is for anyone who wants to know for sure. And so let's think about doubt and God's faithfulness. In verse 1 we find a very rich phrase. Verse 1 says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So Luke is speaking of prior writings, prior accounts that have been put together about things that have been accomplished. The phrase have been accomplished is one word in the Greek. It means complete and total accomplishment. It, it is to cause to happen with the implication of the purpose being fulfilled or completed. God did it all. This is a major theme to the whole book of Luke. Luke wants us to see how Jesus, every step he took, every word he spoke, every action he took, was accomplishing the plan that God the Father had sent him on. And so look at Luke chapter 1, verse 20. I'll just show you this in a few different verses. This emphasis on God's faithfulness and his fulfilling. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 20. We read, And behold, this is the angel speaking to Zechariah because he doubted God's promise. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. You see that? The emphasis on fulfilling he has spoken, it will be fulfilled. Look at verse 45, the same chapter, Luke 1, verse 45, where you have Mary visiting Elizabeth, and it says this, uh, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So you see that? A fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then drop to verses 54 and 55, where Mary is singing her song of praise. Luke chapter 1, 54 and 55, she says this, God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. What's she remembering? She's remembering the covenant promises of God made to Abraham and, and the other patriarchs. And how God has remembered them and he's helping, he's keeping them. 
in verses 69 and 70 of that same chapter. Uh, this time it's Zechariah prophesying. Now he's able to speak uh, because John has been born and God keeps his word. Actually, we'll start in verse 67. It says, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Why did he do that? Verse 70, As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Fulfillment, right? God is keeping his word. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 29. uh, We have... Uh, Simeon, this righteous and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit is upon him. He sees the Son. Verse 28, Luke 2, he takes up Jesus in his arms and blesses God and says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your what? Your word. God is keeping his word. You can trace this all the way through Luke again and again and again. It wants us to see that God is faithful. God keeps his word. And again, just turn to the end of Luke in Luke 24, just to, just to show you how it's from beginning to end. God keeps his word. He, he accomplishes what he says he will do. Luke 24, verses 44 through 49. Just recently we read up to verse 41. Now we're going to pick it up in Luke 24, verse 44. Jesus says to his disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. I'll catch what he says. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, in other words, all 39 books of the Old Testament, must be what? Fulfilled. There it is again, right? Fulfillment. Doubt. We have doubt about God and His Word and His faithfulness. And Luke again and again and again and again is saying, God is faithful. He keeps His Word. Then, then verse 45, it says, Then Christ opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise. There's fulfillment again. I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Are you seeing it? The Gospel of Luke, again and again and again, wants us to understand that history is not the sum total of random chance occurrences or some some fortunate circumstances, but history is the fulfillment of a divine plan. Luke is shouting, the story of Jesus Christ is true. God is faithful. God keeps His promises. He has fulfilled all that He said He would do. And therefore, He is worthy of our trust and obedience. We have this solid rock to stand on, that God is faithful. He's ever true. Everything is going just as He planned and just as He promised. So if you're here and you're doubting, and you feel like you're stuck in this like hundred-foot hole that doubt has dug out for you, then take these promises. As as we go through Luke and you hear about how he keeps his word, let that be like cement that God is pouring into that hole that doubt has dug out for you uh, and so that you can stand on this rock-solid assurance that God is 
faithful. He has accomplished all that he said he would accomplish. If you're wrestling with thoughts like, will God come through? Will he do what he's promised? Will he provide? Will he hold me fast? Luke is saying again and again and again, God will do what he says he will do. That's the promise. God does not lie. He speaks and he acts. He promises. He fulfills. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says, God is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are just. He is a God of faithfulness. He's without iniquity. In other words, he can't lie. He's just and upright. So if you struggle with doubt, I invite you into this journey through Luke where you'll hear and you'll see the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, and you will see again and again and again, God is big enough. He's big enough. Whatever you want to throw at Him, He's big enough to handle it. Amen? He can handle it. In fact, I would encourage you, if, if, if you struggle with doubt, to maybe take some 3 by 5 cards. And on one side of the card, write down what you doubt. Write down what you struggle with, what you question, what you waver on. Then on the flip side of that, write down a promise of God. Or write down a character of God. Write down a way how he fulfills his word. And I would just ask you, I would challenge you with this thought of what, what's going to capture your heart? Doubt or God's word? What's, what's, what's going to focus your heart? Faithfulness or doubt? And thinking about God's faithfulness, we think about his word. Uh, the truthfulness of God's word, the trustworthiness of his word has been under attack from almost from day one, right? Adam and Eve are in the garden. Uh, here comes Satan in the form of a serpent. He, he tries to isolate Eve a little bit and, and kind of picks on her a little bit and says, did God really say? Did he really say that you can't eat from any of these trees? What's he trying to do? cast doubt on the goodness of God. What kind of God says that? What kind of God says you can't, you can't eat, any, eat, eat from any of these trees? And of course, Eve responds and says, well, no, 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 he didn't, he didn't say that. He said we can actually eat from all of them except for save this one. If we touch it, we will die. So what does Satan say in response to that? You will not surely die. He lies. He's casting doubt on the goodness of God. He's trying to get Eve to question the goodness of God. And then he's just flat out calling God a liar. That God and his word cannot be trusted. Satan's been at work with that for a long time. And you know what? He's, he's been pretty successful. A vast majority of people do not believe that God's word is faithful. Especially when it comes to the Gospels. Uh, the Gospels have been under a great deal of a tr a attack. Uh, we're told the Gospels are full of contradictions. You ever hear that before? The Gospels full of contradictions. It's full of myths and legends. The, the, the Gospels are not historical, we're told. We're told the Christian faith is anti-intellectual. It, it's, a, it's a leap in the dark. We're told things like that. Enter Luke. And watch what he says in verse 3. He says, It seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. 
That's a powerful verse. Luke like piles word upon word upon word upon word describing how he faithfully, accurately, and logically arraigned the facts of, of Jesus' life and ministry. Luke is an investigator. And so that word in verse 3 where it says, having followed, having followed means to trace carefully. Do you ever remember like having tracing paper and putting on top of paper and carefully trying to trace through those lines? Trying to be as accurate and as careful as you can. That's the image that's here with Luke. He has followed closely. He, he's paid attention to minute and careful detail. He hasn't just slapped this together. He's thought hard about it. In fact, his investigation is characterized in three ways. You can see him right there in verse 3. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things. All things. So his investigation was complete. He investigated all things. He turned over every rock. He was thorough. He did his homework. So looking at verse 1, he's familiar with the fact that others have, have written things down, that, that there's earlier sources, because verse 1 says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So he knows other people have written down about this. There's other sources out there. He's investigated those sources. And he probably interviewed eyewitnesses because verse 2 says, because Luke himself is not an eyewitness, remember, but he does appear to speak to the eyewitnesses because verse 2 says, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Uh, that, that no doubt includes the 11 disciples. Uh, it would also probably include Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. Perhaps some of those 70 that he sent out and, and some others who were just eyewitnesses of the things that, that Christ did. Uh, so, so Luke is complete with his investigation. He's also very, very careful. Again, verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things, what? Closely. Closely. That means mindfully, in a deliberate manner. Remember Luke is a doctor? He's a physician? That means he has an eye for detail. He has strict standards that he stuck to with the utmost exactitude. That's why Luke is full of historical references. He's, he's basically saying, if you doubt me, check my references. So in Luke 1 verse 5, he tells us, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, the division of Abijah. That's pretty specific. <laughs> he's being very careful, isn't he? And all through Luke, you find references like that. In Luke uh, chapter 2 verse 2, Flip a few pages, because Luke 1 is a very long chapter. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1, actually, he writes, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. He's very specific, yes? And then even in, in Luke chapter 3, verse 1, he really pinpoints it. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of however you say that one, Iteria and Trachonitis and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene. Why is he sharing all that? Why does that matter? He wants us to see this is reliable. This is based on fact. This, again, wasn't just hodgepodge, slipped together overnight in a, in a hurry, but he examined very, very closely. And again, that matters because remember what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul tells us that if Jesus isn't risen from the dead, then our faith is worthless, right? We should just all have a party. 
and live, live, live life to its utmost. Live, live like there's no tomorrow. But if it is true that Christ rose from the dead, then we must submit our lives to him. And so Luke is very, very concerned to show the historical veracity of what he's writing about, that it can be tested. He's also not just writing closely or carefully, he's also writing beautifully. Uh, Luke 1, 1 through 4 is in classical structure, classical Greek, called a period. We would call it a prologue today, but they in their day called it a period. And in the Greek, which the New Testament was originally written in Greek, those first four verses is one long sentence. It's just one long sentence. One person calls the Gospel of Luke the most beautiful book in the world. Raymond Brown says about the Gospel of Luke, in particular about the prologue, but the whole Gospel of Luke, that the Gospel of Luke is the finest Greek in the New Testament. And again, this is especially true of the first four verses. People believe the first four verses of the Gospel of Luke is the finest style Greek in all of the New Testament. Why am I pointing that out? I'm pointing that out because what I think Luke is doing is he's shouting, I want you to see that I take this seriously. I want you to see that this is history and I demand a hearing and you should understand how carefully, you should understand I demand a hearing and this is historically accurate because of how carefully I begin my book. Because remember, in that day and age, they didn't have books like this, right? Bound like this, flashy graphics on the front, catchy little phrases, uh, and all this writing on the back to try and, in, try and get your interest into it, to get you to read it, right? It's hard to get people to read books, so we've got to put all these catchy things on the front. Uh, in Luke's day, they didn't have the ability to do that. They wrote on scrolls, right? And by the way, if Luke wrote 24 chapters, actually 52, if you include the book of Acts, that's one seriously long scroll. <laughs> probably multiple scrolls. Would have been very, very expensive, and probably Theophilus pays for that. But when, when you open the scroll like this, the very first thing they're going to see is they, as they do this, is they're going to see these four verses. And they're going to see how beautifully it's, it's composed. And it's Luke shouting at him, take this serious. Look how closely and carefully I write. Pay attention, because this stuff matters, and this stuff will give you assurance. This stuff will strengthen your faith. That's, that's what's going on with it. And the third thing to notice about Luke's, Luke's investigation is it was thorough. Again, verse 3, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely, for some time past. There's, there's the third part. What that means is it's from, from the very beginning. It's a good place to start, is what we're told. And so that's where he started, at the very beginning. That's why his story unfolds with the, the prophesied birth of John the Baptist. So I'm sharing all that again. So you can see, so you can have certainty that we can trust God's word. That it's not a cunningly devised myth, but the word of God is solid, historical fact. And with all of that, with all that careful investigation, Luke says in verse 3, he set about to write an orderly account for you. So he takes all of his research, and now he's going to write this orderly account uh, for us. An orderly account that in the end is 52 chapters long. 
when you include the, the, the book of Acts. So I want to circle back to where we started. Why did Luke go through so much effort? Why did Luke go through such painstaking research? Why did he, as he says, write an orderly account for you? What's verse 4 say? He did all of this so that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In fact, there's two words that are there, that you may have certainty and then the things that you have been taught, so that you can know the things you have been taught. Certainty is a faith that does not totter, a faith uh, that is built on a solid foundation. But I want you to see and understand, he's not just writing to Theophilus, he's writing to me, and he's writing to you. Luke is writing to you and to me so that we might know and that we might have assurance of faith. He wants us to know that when we place our faith in the Word of God and what it says about Jesus Christ, that that's a solid rock upon which we can stand. He wants to reinforce our conviction. He wants to give us certainty about Jesus. He's inviting you and he's inviting me to be sure and certain of the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the salvation that comes through him. And I want you to stop and think about this for a moment. How does he do that? How does Luke seek to persuade? How does he seek to give you certainty? How does he seek to give you assurance? And this is crucial because I, I know a lot of us struggle with this. Where does assurance come from? Does, does Luke say that assurance comes from trying harder? Because a lot of people say that. Does he say, if you want to know that you know that you know that you know, if you want to have certainty, does he say, you just got to try harder? You just got to do more? You got to ramp up your spiritual performance? Is that what he says? Praise God, no. That's not where assurance comes from. Assurance does not come from what you do. Because the question that would always be in the back of your mind is, have I done enough? Or, or does he say that assurance comes from looking deep within? Encounter that constantly. People who, who want to look deep within themselves and see if they know that they know that they know. Look, I just want to give you a caution there. Don't, don't look deep within. That's scary. <laughs> As I look deep within my life, I don't want to look any deeper. You know, it's, it's scary what's in there. And that's not where assurance comes from. Because the more I look within, the more assurance I don't have. And the more I waver and I doubt. And it, and it doesn't come from some special experience. How does Luke give us certainty? How does he say we can know that we know that we know? How does he say uh, that, that we can have this solid rock? He says, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. We need to know who Jesus is and what he accomplished. We, we need to know about his virgin birth, his obedient and sinless life, his wise teaching, the, the power of his divine miracles, how he died to save us from the wrath of God, that he suffered and bled as, uh, uh, for our sins. We need to know that he rose from the dead to give eternal life to all who would believe in him. We need to know that he ascended to heaven where he now rules and reigns over all things. That's what we need to know. That's where our assurance comes from. Not by looking within, but by looking out to the Savior whom he perfectly, historically, and reliably, and closely, and carefully traces out for you. 
That's what he does. We study the Gospel of Luke and we read of Jesus' power and his love. And as we do that, we grow on our knowledge of him and our trust of him and our love for him. And as we study the Gospel of Luke and hear about Jesus and all that he's done, then, then we're able to see that we're not leaping into the dark. We're leaping into the arms of the Savior who will catch us. Jump and I will catch you. That is the message of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is the Gospel of knowing. Jump and I will catch you. It's an invitation to know. An invitation to have assurance. In, the, in this world, I know our faith is under siege. In this world, we are encouraged to put our faith in doubt. But Luke gives the remedy. Luke gives us a strong foundation. Luke invites us, look to Jesus. He is the author and finisher of your faith. So it's my hope and prayer as, as we make our way through the Gospel of Luke over the next couple of years uh, that what will happen is my certainty and your certainty, my conviction and your conviction will grow and grow and grow and grow. That we would learn to understand the person and work of Jesus Christ in a deep, special way. That as we make our way through the Gospel of Luke, that it will help you wrestle with your doubts. That it will help you not give up. That it will help you strengthen your faith. Don't let doubt drive you from God. Let your doubt drive you to the Scriptures. Let it drive you to God. Don't put your faith in doubt. Put your faith in in Jesus. Remember how we started and all those examples of, of people in the Bible who struggled with doubt? God was able to help every one of them. He can help you if you look to him, if you'll run to him. So the Gospel of Luke is for anyone who needs to know Jesus. It's for people who have never met him. It's for people who need to meet him again as if for the very first time. It's for people who aren't quite sure about Jesus. It's for people who are just starting the trust in Jesus. It's for people who've known him for a long time but still need to be more secure in their faith. This gospel is for anyone who wants to know Jesus for sure. Do you know him this morning? My invitation to you is to just dive into the gospel of Luke with me and come to know him. Be assured of his grace, his love, his salvation by faith and by faith alone. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a closing song, The Power of the Cross. Heavenly Father, I just cry out to you like the desperate father did in the scriptures. We believe. Help our unbelief. Help us not to waver. Help us not to doubt. Help us have a firm, settled certainty and conviction. Help us to see the historical reliability and the faithfulness of how you guided Luke uh, to write the scriptures, to give this historical account of who you are and what you've done through your son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, I'm excited as we go through this gospel. Help each one of us as, as we dig through it, as we think through it. Lord, that you would just strengthen our foundations. Uh, that you would strengthen our faith and just give us this deep, uh, compelling certainty about who you are and what you've done. Uh, may that just help us to know you more and to love others more. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.